Welcome to Business Unmuted Live, a video business discussion on Wednesday 30th of June 2021, which is shared on platforms including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Business Unmuted is sponsored by Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. It has dealerships in Stockton-on-Tees, Durham, Sunderland, Malton and York. They're great people to buy a car from. Today we're joined in our studio by Gavin Cordwell-Smith, CEO of Helen's Group, a leading developer in the Northeast. Down the line we've Caroline Moody, Group Managing Director of Moody Logistics, a transport and warehousing company, and Fraser Brown, Managing Director of Motivise Automotive Industry Consultants. But first, before we dive into the programme, earlier I spoke to Darlington MP Peter Gibson regarding plans to axe vital services to and from Darlington Railway Station, affecting Tees Valley, County Durham and North Yorkshire. Here's what he had to say. The issue is that there's a proposed new timetable for the East Coast Main Line, and what we are going to see in the Tees Valley, particularly at Darlington Station, is a reduced number of services stopping here. So instead of 31 in one direction, we go down to 28. Instead of 31 in the other direction, we go down to 25. And Darlington doesn't get that competition from those open access operators. So we've got the worst of both worlds. It also has a detrimental impact on the stopping of Transpennine trains throughout the region as well. So this has real impacts for businesses, people being able to get to and from work, to and from London or Edinburgh for their business meetings. And it's all being done in the endeavour to get trains to Newcastle and to Edinburgh faster at the expense of the Tees Valley. Uh, The claim is that there's not enough capacity on the track and that's the big issue, particularly with more freight on the track. What is the argument uh, to that point? Every single one of these trains that will go five minutes or 10 minutes faster to Newcastle or Edinburgh respectively still has to have a path through Darlington train station. And so it's it's ridiculous to suggest that that train cannot stop. Yes, the train will be slightly slower by a couple of minutes, but to sacrifice that connectivity that we have as a region at the expense of them trying to get more passengers on the train in Edinburgh or Newcastle, um, it's, it's a step too far. And really what they need to do is to change these proposed uh, timetable changes. What about the arguments also about the economy of Tees Valley, which has tra- changed dramatically in very few months since the budget, really, there's been significant announcements and the future prospects for Tees Valley's economy have improved? Greg, you make an excellent point. And LNER are basing these decisions on data from 2019. So pre the saving of the airport, pre the introduction of flights, pre... Uh, the announcement of Treasury jobs, Bayes jobs, Department for International Trade, pre the Freeport announcement. So pre all of these fantastic pieces of innovative news for our region have not been taken into account in considering these timetable changes. It's short-sighted and it's wrong. Finally, what do you want businesses who are watching this to do? It's really important that the voices of Tees Valley businesses, businesses in Darlington, Hartlepool, Middlesbrough, Redcar, Stockton, make their voices heard to the consultation. So they can complete the consultation document on LNER's website. They can write to me or their respective member of parliament. They can write to Ben Houchen and they can take to social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, and make their voices heard so that LNER hear the voices of Tees Valley businesses that this is something that they don't want to happen. 
Well, that was an interesting uh, discussion with Peter Gibson, MP, and uh, today, that was recorded yesterday, today he raised the Prime Minister's questions. Sadly, Boris didn't give a definitive answer on it. Gavin uh, Caldwell-Smith, uh, you are obviously uh, investing in the Tees Valley and you have premises in North Yorkshire as well. What's your view on this train station situation? Yeah, I mean, it just seems somewhat surprising, doesn't it, given, you know, concur with what Peter said, with all the investment that we've got coming to, to Darlington in particular, uh, with Treasury North and various other departments looking to relocate here, it just seems a bit odd and not a great start to the levelling up agenda, really. It's, it's sending out all the wrong the wrong signals, um, you know, I, you know, I suppose one of the questions, I, I know we'd rather have regular services but if they're reducing the number of services presumably their capacity is going to increase so we're going to see a reduction in in costs of fares because yeah, I think that's one of the biggest issues. Fair point uh, or we're going to go on the train on, on the plane which yeah, well, exactly. I checked out actually the, the Heathrow plane from uh, from Teesside Airport isn't that expensive I'm mm -hmm. hopefully going to use it in the next few weeks. Let's pick this uh, subject of general transport issues up with Caroline Moody and Fraser Brown. Caroline, obviously you run a logistics company. Uh, I suppose in a way you compete with rail, but uh, road is dominant when it comes to uh, transporting goods. Um, how is business and what is your view of the way in which road and rail uh, align? Um, yeah, business, first of all, is very good. Um, we've had um, probably two good releases have come out of lockdown. It's uh, been very difficult to cope with the volumes, both with the capacity on the capital equipment everybody has, uh, but also with some uh, driver shortages the industry's seen at the moment. Uh, so that's been difficult. Um, how it aligns with real, well, funny enough, when we first started in the overnight pallet market, we used to be part of a British Rail Enterprise called Track 29, which tried very hard to link the road and the rail together. But uh, it just kind of didn't work at the time. I think main, mainly the real side of things is for much larger shipments over a longer distance. I guess the UK doesn't see a lot of that or we don't see that as competition particularly because for the average journey time on a truck where it's um, maybe four hours, three, four, five hours, there's not enough capacity there in the length of the, the stretch of the trunking to be worth cost effective. Mm. So it's really when it's really long distance and, and things that it would, you know, I, I know sort of the likes of Tesco's bring things in from abroad on the reel and that sort of thing. That's where it works well. That's interesting. Fraser, um, people are obviously picking up in the car market and I talked to one large car dealership who said that public transport um, is something they would choose second and some of the uh, purchasing of particularly cheaper second-hand small cars around cities is because people are cautious about public transport in the Covid environment. Yeah, for myself, I used to use Darlington Station multiple times a week before the uh, the pandemic, and I uh, also used Teesside Airport uh, quite a bit, uh, more so of late because there are more services. Um, but interestingly, I have reverted back to my private car, my private space, where I'm not exposed to multiple people. Um, and that is generally the, what we're seeing across um, uh, transport at the moment. And in the automotive sector, we're seeing a real problem getting hold of cars. After the lockdown, um, demand for new cars went through the roof, but because production lines have been shut down for a long time, um, they, uh, they simply can't keep up with that demand. So we've got a real shortage of new cars, 
And that is then having a knock-on effect because the pile exchanges are not coming back in um, as uh, they're not able, people aren't able to replace their new cars as promptly as they would like. So we're not seeing any used cars coming into the industry. So we're expecting used car values to rocket over the coming weeks and months. Yes, I, I've actually been in the car market recently and was pleased to buy a new car from Virtue. I might have seen they're sponsoring it. I might plug that in. Entirely unrelated, I, I should say. Um, I, I had the car delivered very recently, but I, I had to wait quite a while, not because of the dealership, but because uh, of demand and because of uh, chips. Uh, the, there is an issue with electronic chips for car central processors, isn't there? Yeah, we've got a number of issues in terms of supply. So if we go back to uh, the beginning of the pandemic, when manufacturers unilaterally shut down their plants, thinking that there would be no demand and they had COVID issues to manage within their businesses, we ended up in a situation where they then knocked on to their suppliers and said, we're not going to be taking your goods anymore. And one of the, the compounding factors of this was that microchip suppliers could very quickly repurpose their businesses and supply chips for the huge demand for laptops that came up during the lockdown period. So as consumers changed their um, their demands and their needs during that period, uh, we then saw the uh, the suppliers to the automotive sector retool, move to uh, uh, supply other industries. And that was also compounded by um, the fact that one of the microchip factories burnt down. Um, and, and in addition to that, to get vehicles on the road we're also seeing supply issues with aluminium and rubber and i do know it's not just the automotive sector that are so struggling with this because uh, some of the property things that i'm involved with and uh, we're also struggling to get supplies of very basic things like insulation and um, even silicone and cement um, so it's a very different world post pandemic trying to catch up with the demand that's always been there but the, this period where supply just didn't happen due to covid well there's a lot to pick up on that and and i've also going to put it in the context of jobs. So let's first of all have a look at some jobs data. A survey of 8,000 workers commissioned by the Resolution Foundation. Four in five employees who were furloughed during the first and second lockdown are now back at work, leaving quite a few still on furlough and job vacancy rates also now higher than pre-pandemic levels. Now this all fits in. Caroline, you're busy freighting goods around by road uh, you are busy, Fraser, I know, helping uh, retailers in the motor sector recruit staff. And I know you're busy uh, selling goods for the construction sector. Can I ask you each to place the state of your trade in the context of supplies and jobs? First, Gavin. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of supplies, you know, we're we are experiencing, you know, uh, a lot of similar issues uh, in the construction industry. One of our businesses manufactures paving slabs and... Um, you know, we're subject to raw material increases, etc. Um, you know, we've experienced phenomenal demand over the last last twelve months. We were very fortunate in that we'd we'd made you know a big investment in the in our plant in Catterick, uh, not far from here, uh, about eighteen months ago, and we've been able to largely meet that demand. But um, you know, been issues around materials, etc. Um, you know, we've we've talked about the furlough scheme. We we did initially use the furlough scheme, but we're in a very fortunate position where we're not we're not having to rely on the furlough scheme at this present time. Caroline, I don't if I remember rightly during the pandemic when we spoke, you weren't furloughing people because you were quite essential to getting goods and particularly food around the country. But uh, what's your view yeah. of where we stand now on furlough? Well, we we did furlough for a very short period of time when demand dropped in that initial May June, but it was probably only for a period of about six to eight weeks, and then very quickly realised actually we needed everybody 
everybody back. Um, and yes, I think whilst the government we couldn't complain, they've been brilliant at, in my belief for businesses with this level of support they've given. In some ways, I kind of feel maybe they're too supportive for too long and people mm. have become reliant on it. And it's creating a little bit of a, of a false economy of, you know, there's a lot of people sat at home on quite happy to sit at home on 80%, some people as well. And we need to get those people back into the job market, really, because it's kind of creating, in my opinion, a little bit of a false sense of um, shortage of labour, when actually there are a lot of people out there who could be back in work and, and doing something productive. The government seems to have uh, started to phase out the furlough programme. Uh, the 1st mm -hmm. of July, there are uh, a different criteria for employers to claim back. Uh, and doing that holistically, do you think, any of you, that it would be better rather to constrain the furlough programme only to those businesses that have mandatory closures, such as there are mandatory rules on airlines, there are mandatory restrictions on entertainment? Um, let's go to Fraser first. I think, Graham, to be honest with you, that would be a bit harsh. And our industry, uh, the motor industry, has remained largely open other than the first few weeks of the lockdown. But my industry, the one thing that I do, we supply the automotive sector. We were never forced to close, but all of my customers shut, so nobody bought anything off me. My revenues went from 150,000 to 1,500 pounds in one month. Mm. So, you know, a, a drop off like you've never seen before. And I have to say, I was very impressed impressed by what Rishi put in place. Fast, firm and supportive actions. Um, so for, for our industry, for, for my um, small uh, feeder business into a larger industry, it's been absolutely essential uh, to have all the support because we never got any of the grants that were available to businesses that were forced to close. Without furlough, we would not be here now as a business. Having said that, Yes, there is a point that there are people out there that are quite happy to sit at home on furlough um, that actually could be out working. And yes, there is a point at which we should start to rationalise this because certainly many industries, the hospitality industry across North Yorkshire and the motor industry that we're heavily involved with have a real issue trying to get people into the workplace. You know, right now, we are currently working on filling 260 jobs for dealers across the United Kingdom. Um, and last month, we filled uh, almost 180 jobs uh, with our recruitment day service. And so, yeah, it's a balance. It really is. And I think the furlough scheme has been absolutely essential to get us through this period um, you know I believe our company may have survived but there would have been me and one other instead of the 30 people that I employ uh, on, a, on a daily basis uh, around me at the moment so you know very impressed with the government support and I do think the time has come to uh, you know wherever possible get people back to work clearly with hospitality um, as in nightclubs and the, um, kind of the travel industry um, it's slightly different because they still have restrictions but most of the businesses now can get back to it and uh, you know yes there's probably time for some rationalization furlough uh, oxygen time to turn the oxygen off uh, to the non-affected businesses caroline uh, yes I, I think so because um you know i think they need to sometimes it, 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 for them, they don't become innovative enough to, to look mm. at other, other ways of doing things. And a bit like you talked, um, Gavin said about the uh, car industry where they sort of closed down very quickly, a lot of the big people. And then, therefore, 
in hindsight could have just kept going and then the chips would have been there so sometimes it's created other problems later down the line hasn't it by it being too easy to clo close down at the very start of it all if they'd had to keep going uh that might have been a different outcome now now caroline you obviously have to recruit skilled people i know that in the warehousing and in the driver there's different levels of skills that you have in your business and you were talking about recruitment earlier you've just heard fraser talking about recruitment and the 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 jobs that are, are that he's trying to get uh people into um are you seeing that it isn't just a shortage of recruitment but there's also a wage inflation effect yeah that, that's a bit of a concern at the moment i mean uh, yes, the haulage industry has been underfunded for, for years. And I think it's been the lack of value people place on transport and what they're prepared to pay for it. You know, the average person, even for their Tesco's delivery or something through Amazon, they regret paying a few pounds for delivery. Nobody wants to pay for it. But of course, it, it, it's got to be paid for. And that's been reflected really in a lot of the wages, which has been a bit unfair on our industry. And, um, you know, people would happily pay for a £30 taxi ride home from mm. a night out. Mm. But ask them to pay 30 quid for a pallet somewhere the other end of the country and they're up in arms about it. And mm. um, so I'm hoping, you know, some of this would highlight the importance of our industry and how people need to really value it to keep it going because if we can't get drivers in the industry, then it stops and affects everything throughout the UK. You know, supermarket deliveries. I know a few big national suppliers now who are saying they can't get the deliveries into supermarkets, and and that's going to be an issue. I mean, I think the driver shortage is not really driven by the lack of wages. I think it's been driven personally by the lack of new people coming into the market in the last year with there being no tests and things like that. But while we catch up, I don't think, you know, it, it still is an underfunded area as well. That's a very and interesting point, to, Caroline. Right. That's a, a logistical point of logjam on tests. Entirely rational point. I've never heard that made, but you have to have an expert on to sometimes make the obvious. Yeah. Um, Fraser, what, what is you, your view on what the uh, recruitment uh, issue is causing to wages in retailers in motor dealerships? It's really interesting. It's a kind of a compound effect. We've got the uh, the lack of people that can come in from the rest of the EU now, um, and we're finding that's having a significant effect on the um, uh, certain areas within the dealership, certainly balloting, car cleaning, the um, technicians area uh, within car dealerships. We're not able to bring people in as we were previously from countries outside the UK. Um, we're also seeing um, a challenge in terms of getting people to come into the motor industry because we work quite long hours in the motor industry. You know, you can uh, work between 55 and 65 hours a week. Um, so what dealers are having to do is to really look at how they look after their people. Do they, can they work them on a five day a week basis? You know, can we be more flexible and supportive? And we can't work from home when we're in a showroom selling cars. Uh, but what we can do is look at how we balance the work home life uh, interests for the, uh, the people that are working within car dealerships so that it becomes a more attractive place to be. So whilst we're not seeing financial increases because sales side of the, the business is uh, commission driven largely within the automotive sector, what we are seeing is a bit of competition on work home life balance, which is not something we've been very good at in the motor industry historically. Well, look, Caroline, Fraser, Gavin, thank you for talking to us today. We're going to have to leave it there because time has overcome us. It's been a very interesting conversation and some fascinating points on logistics from you, Caroline, that sometimes we do all take for granted. Thank you for joining us on Business Unmuted. There'll be more at the same time next week.